Welcome to From the Raptors, a podcast brought to you by Varsity Partners. Varsity Partners is a design-led, fan-forward company that provides creative and strategic solutions for brands and sports properties. And now here's your host, Vice President of Varsity Partners, Pat Flynn. All right, well, today we're really excited because we've got one of the coolest directors of athletics across the country from New Mexico State, Mario Mocha. How are we doing, my man? What is going on? Happy New Year. I'm doing okay. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas, all that stuff. And I don't know who participated in that vote of the coolness thing, but, you know, it might have been just you, but I appreciate the compliment. No, no, people are talking, Mario. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's just a fact. But thanks so much uh, for joining us today. You know, here at Varsity Partners, we're always looking to talk to people that are building, you know, interesting and impressive brands. And, you know, what, what you've done in Las Cruces and, and throughout your career has been really impressive. So just want to start out by, you know, you telling people, you know, more about what you're building at New Mexico State and about the brand that you guys have out there. Sure. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, this is an interesting place because, you know, when I accepted this job in January of 2015, uh, other than congratulations, the next most common response was, oh, I've never been there. So a lot of people don't know about the state of New Mexico. Uh, A lot of people don't know about Las Cruces. You know, it's not a general stop for a whole lot of people. Uh, It's certainly, you know, down in the southernmost part of New Mexico, you know, only 30 miles from, believe it or not, the UTEP campus. So they're our close neighbors. But, you know, what we're trying to do here, and as an alum, a lot of people don't know, I played baseball at New Mexico State. When I got back here, I just thought there was a little bit of a of a malaise around the program, and it really needed a cheerleader. And I know this sounds really rudimentary when there's a lot of big thinkers in our business, but I sat down, and as I, you know, wanted to assess everything, I said, boy, we're just in need of an infusion of enthusiasm. So I got with my media relations guy and I said, we are going to put every single solitary bit of good news out there for the public. So I think for the first, I don't know how many months or years, we said, hey, any good news item, we're putting out a press release. You know, we're going to get to know the media. We're going to do this. And that just, you know, as they say, what, you know, motion causes emotion. And I just wanted people to start thinking about us all the time, thinking about us in a positive light. And we had not sold out a basketball game. You know, we had tremendous success, obviously, with Lou Henson at the Mm -hmm. Final Four in the 70s, and then with Neil McCarthy in the 90s. But, you know, there was a little bit of of a cloud over the basketball program. And I said, hey, let's sell out a game. And I swear to you, people looked at me like I was crazy. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make every ticket in the lower level 10 bucks, and we're going to make every ticket in the upper level $5. And I'm new, so I'll use some goodwill, and I'll go to every business, and I'll get them to buy X amount of tickets, and then we'll give them away to all these elementary schools and service clubs and what have you. And at the end of the year, that March 2015, we played Chicago State, the last game of the year, and there was 12,600 people in the Pan American Center. And I really thought that, was like a, oh, wow, this is what it used to be like. And we used yeah. that momentum. We got 40 business people that next uh, August, and we sold out a football game. We had about 28,000 people for a Georgia State game uh, in 2015. So I think that was almost like the foundation for what we were trying to do 
Um, you know, certainly we're trying to be innovative, things like that, but just bring a little enthusiasm and excitement back to our community and, and get our name out there a little bit. Well, the enthusiasm is all over that campus with kind of what you've done. You know, what, what we wanted to highlight too is, is some of the innovation and, and the new partnerships that you've, you know, been doing and been leading in college athletics, which, which is pretty interesting. And I think, you know, you make a point to say at New Mexico State, we've in the past, we've kind of had to follow and, and you've actually found some unique ways to kind of lead and innovate, which has been pretty cool. So you want to talk about some of those kind of partnerships and, and how those kind of came to be? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about the basics, which we didn't have. You know, when we got here, we had put on an RFP for a footwear and apparel deal. Uh, we partnered with Under Armour in 2017, which more than doubled our existing partnership. So that was seen as a big, you know, kudo to our department. And then, believe it or not, we were one of, I believe it was three FBS institutions that did not have a multimedia rights agreement. So we put that out to bid, wow. and I'll never forget my my president. I showed him the you know the the rough draft of the first contract, and he was staring at it, looking for the the hole in it. And I said, no, no, this is what the market bears. You know, we were just that much. You know, not, I, I mean, I remember him just I looking at him like, okay, there's a catch here. I'm like, no, there's no catch. So those were two of the, you know, what I would say rudimentary things. Uh, anybody can discount tickets and get business people involved and sell out a game and cause goodwill. But, you know, one of the innovative things we've done, um, and it's really been what I would say the only good thing that I could really think of that came out of the pandemic is, um, um, our, our, is maybe um, refocusing our partnership with uh, the collegiate licensing company um, in the consumables category. You know, we're very fortunate that we receive uh, all the revenue from li the licensing fees, um, even though, as we know, most all colleges and universities are generating, you know, sweatshirt, t-shirt, hats, so that it's really around the athletic program. Mm -hmm. But um, a few years ago, we were visited um, by the folks at CLC, came down from Atlanta, and they talked about consumables, and they said, well, what do you think about beer? And uh, there was only about three or four schools that were doing beer at the time, Louisiana Lafayette, Tulane, uh, I think Montana was in production. And um, um, we had partnered with Bosque Brewing, which just happened to be across the street. You know, their, part, their, their headquarters are in Albuquerque, but they were owned by some alum. And uh, they had created a really nice um, blonde ale, and uh, they didn't have a name for it. And when we approached them, they said, yeah, let's do this. And through many uh, approval processes and iterations, uh, we created Pistol Pete's 1888 Ale. And um, at first it was in keg form and then it got to be in a can form. So, you know, it's very collegiate. It's got the crimson, the white, it's got our fight song on the back. But what really helped is it was a quality product. It went to the Great American Beer Festival, something I didn't know existed. And in, a, in its Blondale category, 160 entrants, it won the bronze medal. So, um, you know, people started to drink that uh, big time at our games. Even the hardcore Miller Coors, the hardcore Budweiser folks, when they were at an Aggie game, they said, hey, give me a Pistol Pete. Um, you know, people, <laughs> you know, after the games, when they're celebrating, at the tailgate parties, they wanted it. Then we partnered up with the statewide distributor, Admiral Beverage. And that is now our product, Pistol Pete's 1888, is now in 
300 locations around the state in 70 different cities in the state of New Mexico. And it generated, wow. it generated over $30,000 in revenue for our department. And I say this not cavalierly, but at a place like New Mexico State, when you look at all of our ticket revenue, football, men's basketball, that beer revenue alone through licensing would be my number three ticketed sport. So while I know it's a little unconventional, I mean, you know, trying to, you know, make the next soccer poster and, hey, what promotions are we doing for this sport or that sport? You know, it's a little um, odd to say I'm also wondering how to get my beer in as many different stores as I can. Now it's in Walmarts. Now I'm trying to figure out how to get it in Albertsons, which is run out of Phoenix, and Walgreens, which is the decisions are out of Chicago. So a little atypical for athletic director stuff, but that's the first product. And then we've been able to really take off um, with some other very unique products, um, seeing as, as successful as the beer was. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And, and you mentioned, too, kind of the consumable category that, you know, like you said, not many college athletic programs have kind of wrapped their head around. So continuing to kind of innovate that way is, is just really impressive. And kudos to you for kind of being a leader in that space. You know, as long as I've known you, you've you've always been that way. You've been enthusiastic. You've been innovative. You know, you talk about being a an alum playing baseball there. Where did that come from? Were you were you kind of always like that? Is that the type of person you were? Is that like like where does that come from? Most yeah, people think, most people don't have that, Mario. Well, you know, I I think you know you look back. I think a lot of it came from my dad. You know, he was. Uh, he was a physician who then became an anesthesiologist. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of room for error um, in that profession. So he was definitely a perfectionist. But if you go way, way back, you know, my dad, who's still with us, um, was born in 1929, October of 29 in New York City. So the, you know, the, the crash. And his dream was to become a professional baseball player. And he would tell the story ad nauseum. He came home one day and the Dodgers wanted to sign him at age 17 to a class D uh, team. And his dad, who finished all of fifth grade and was working on a roof, said, absolutely not. You're going to college. So I think a lot of that, you know, my drive to success was really through him of practicing constantly. And quite frankly, like on a three or four day, and I know these days, this is probably not cool with the participation medals everybody gets, but on the drive homes, we weren't talking about the three hits. We were definitely talking about the out and what I could have done better and that. And it wasn't always fun, mm -hmm. but it certainly made you driven and, um, you know, kind of that pursuit of, of excellence, no matter what level you're at. You know, um, we get it. Alabama and New Mexico State are like, you know, Earth and Pluto. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we can be as perfect in what we're doing as what I assume Alabama is trying to be perfect in is what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's really well said and and a valid point. And then, you know, talking about those schools and, and kind of your upbringing, you end up in college athletics. You know, for, for from my perspective, you're you're one of the staples in, in college athletics. And, and like you mentioned, you're at a Pluto compared to an Earth with some of these schools in terms of New Mexico State. Yet you found a way to stick out and and show people kind of you know what your brand is like and magnetic what your personality is like and, and what that brand is that you built. You mentioned kind of your upbringing, but but then you made it into college athletics. 
and you come from a pretty cool tree of uh, from Missouri athletics. Talk about your entry into college and, and kind of where, where it got you to today. Well, yeah, I'll do that. But Pat, I want you to give me credit because I did throw Pluto in there. And a lot of people don't know that Clyde Tombaugh, who was a very famous professor at New Mexico State, was the one who founded Pluto. So you can't try to take Pluto off the map. There's nine planets, all right? I know there's these people who want to go down that, to That's eight why planets, I, I, but... I didn't flinch or hesitate. Pluto, in my, in my mind, is a planet. And, of course, you found a way to plug New Mexico State through Pluto, as you always do. That's right. You never see Clyde, Clyde Tombaugh. Go ahead and look him up after this. Founded Pluto. Okay. So, yeah, it was interesting because after my baseball, I love it when I get introduced. They're like, you know, after his minor league career with the Tigers, he transitioned into athletic administration as if I chose <laughs> to be released from the Tigers organization. But, um, you know, I, I, it was interesting because I had moved up to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was opening a gym. It was the it was called Nautilus, and then it was the new Nautilus, whatever addition we had made back then. But I was opening the gym at 4:30 in the morning, and I grew to mm. severely dislike people who would line up prior to 4:30 and me getting there and opening up the mm. gym for them. But I had an old teammate in Albuquerque, and he said, "Man, you should get your." Um, degree in athletic administration. You know, I had graduated with a psychology degree at New Mexico State. So I, I got accepted into the sports administration program at New Mexico. And what was really interesting, you know who else graduated from there? You have Darren Dunn at Northern Colorado. You have Larry Tice, the AD at Texas State. You have Lee Reed, the athletic director at Georgetown. Uh, Sean Johnson, who was the uh, executive director of the Frisco Bowl. Um, so we had a lot of folks uh, come through that program. But um, after I graduated, you needed to do an internship. And I remember applying all over the country. Cleveland Cavaliers had a group sales position. Uh, and somebody, I don't know who, said, you know, New Mexico is hiring. So I went down there, and it was a marketing internship. I applied for it and uh, got it. And I started gee, it was somewhere in 93, I guess. And um, I was working directly for a guy named Mike Alden. And um, after four and a half years, uh, Mike had got the uh, AD's job at Southwest Texas State, which is now called Texas State. Worked there for two years for him. Then Mike got the University of Missouri job. Um, hmm. And I worked for Mike for, you know, eight years there. I ended up as, you know, the senior associate AD um, of all of external. And I took the Southern Illinois, or I, I took. Uh, you know, I was like two for seven in jobs at that point, uh, not a great batting average, but I, I uh, was hired uh, at Southern Illinois University, the Salukis in Carbondale, Illinois, did almost, uh, gee whiz, eight plus years there. And then when the alma mater job came open at New Mexico State, I thought, hey, this is, you know, I've been at Southern Illinois a long time. We've we've built $90 million in facility, um, you know, getting to a place that I thought, a, I was familiar with being an alum. B, I thought I could impact a little bit because I thought there were some things we could improve on here. And, you know, now, you know what, um, six years later, um, you know, we're, we've, we've done some pretty good things here. Pretty, pretty proud of our athletic success and some of those ancillary things as well. It, it's really been impressive. And, you know, even I remember 
we knew each other, I think, when you were back in Carbondale. And, you know, you brought them a pretty impressive Under Armour deal at the time that was very lucrative as well. So kind of seeing what you learned there and, and kind of taking that back to your alma mater and what you built there is impressive too. And, and, and I don't want to leave anything out because you, you did talk about, you know, some of the alcohol wins that you've had. But, sure. uh, but uh, the coffee as well, you know, partnering yeah. with a coffee brand, Again, I think another first of its kind type of deal. Give us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I'll back up a little bit. You know, the beer immediately led us to think about wine and, you know, newsflash. You just don't make wine. You grow the grapes, et cetera. Well, the biggest winemaker in um, the state of New Mexico just happens to be in southern New Mexico. The the um, the COO is a she, her family. She's part of a four generation of Aggies. And while it oh, wow. took a little while, one day they called up and they said, hey, um, we've got a Cabernet Sauvignon. Do you still want to partner? So that's how, you know, after many, you know, after the checks and balances, et cetera, that's how Pistol Pete's Crimson Legacy was was born. And we had a little donor event and 500 bottles disappeared almost immediately. Um, so they went back, uh, you know, the original, I think 900 bottles was sold. What's great is that you can go online and you can purchase this in 39 different states. So a lot of our alums nationwide have ordered it. A lot of my friends who were, you know, uh, they, they just got that on. That is so cool. It yeah, so it was great. And there was only about 12 universities. You had Gonzaga, Michigan State, Virginia, you know, like that, who have, um, you know, had a wine. Well, you know, the next natural extension was a spirit. And that was, you know, putting your toe in the water because no university had done a spirit, uh, had, had, had done a, a partner or a collegiate uh, partnership with a spirit company. Yeah. And we looked and, at Dry Point Distillers, which is, you know, right here in Las Cruces, um, very small operation. And after the approvals and this, that and the other, we introduced Pistol Pete's Six Shooter Rye Whiskey. And I can't, we did, uh, you know, with the COVID things and like that, we had very small events. So we had nine couples at 5.30 when we cleaned the place, then five couples at 7.30. We did that for two days. So we had nine, 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 and nine. And we sold almost 200 bottles to those folks. And it immediately sold out. And I felt like I was, you know, a bootlegger. I mean, donors were texting me at all hours. I can't get it. I need to get it for Christmas. So, you know, we got another shipment in and that we, we, we put something online and we had a waiting list for 650 bottles. Um, I, I've never, now obviously whiskey bourbon is a very hot thing, but just to see, you know, the AP stories, a huge story in whiskey advocate, um, which is the number one publisher for whiskey, which I didn't even know before Fox business, yeah. New York, uh, it was tremendous, and our local guy was blown away as well as I was. So that was innovative, you know, the, ver the very first one. And with unbelievably few amount of blowback or concern or what have you. Um, and then you're right, just a few weeks ago, we launched our A Mountain Roast, um, which is our coffee. Uh, it flew off the shelves three different times. It sold out. So I think the key is, whether it's New Mexico State or whatever your alma mater is or anybody's, you know, people have an affinity to that. And if it's a new product and it's something cool, um, 
look, it's got to be a good product to get repeat business, but it's sure going to get purchased that first time. So I think if you're careful of who you partner with and you make sure it's a good product, um, as I've said a million times, you know, I'm wearing an Aggie shirt as we speak. I had on an Aggie hat this morning. I've had those things for five years, but every time I open a beer or have a, have a dinner with some friends, you drink, you know, maybe a six pack with your buddies or at a tailgate, or you go through a bottle of wine. That's the beauty of consumables. You keep buying it and buying it. And that license rent licensing revenue, while maybe small, you know, it's about 12% of the wholesale price. But just think, if the wholesale price on a bottle of wine is $10, every time a bottle of wine is purchased, I'm getting $1.20. Well, those mm-hmm. are like a $1.20 ticket that's being sold every single time, 365 days a year. And, you know, on the Internet, that coffee can be sold to all 50 states, the wine, all 39 states, the beer and the whiskey is distributed statewide. So I, I, I'm telling you, that's going to be a $100,000 line item to us in the very near future because we are in production talks on all the different chili lines salsa um, hot sauce chili powder pecans i mean it's it's almost like a little bit of an awakening for me we got to save things for the next episode i mean we can't we can't cover all that right now no well it's just um i i really think athletic directors and maybe smaller schools are missing the boat on significant revenue from um, collegiate licensed products, consumables. Do you think now, given the pandemic, when there is more of a desperation uh, to kind of save those budgets and staff members, et cetera, to kind of take those bigger risks? Well, I would think so. You know, like I said, you know, maybe there's some, now there's 25 beers, collegiate beers on the marketplace with you know, what I'd call blue blood institutions. So I don't think, you know, you've mm-hmm. got Notre Dame with Guinness, you've got, uh, you know, NC State, Colorado, et cetera. Um, so I don't think there's too much of a risk. And the beauty of it, once the product is created, the school doesn't mess with it anymore. That's the producer of the product and, you know, their distribution channels. We may help that along because we are, you know, we get a financial benefit. But uh, I would anticipate that, um you know, this category will only grow significantly just because of, you know, revenue without a whole lot of work once product's created. Right. I said risk. Really, it's it's really not even a risk. It's just making the decision to kind of go in that direction and then reap revenue benefits that, that kind of come with it. But which, you know, not many athletic directors look at. was curious to get your thoughts um, on how some of these partnerships are originally formed, like where does the creative control lie? Are, are, are these products kind of, these companies coming to you, showcasing a product and then kind of just looking for your stamp approval? Or is it really, have you seen through, you know, coffee, beer, whiskey, those relationships that kind of get your, you know, really get your hands dirty with figuring out what the product, the name, the brand looks like, like, like how, how much input, creative input do you and, and your team Uh, have into these products and partnerships? Well, it's interesting because in all four of these products, we have been knee deep in it. We have found the partner, you know, we let them know right about, uh, you know, from the outset, hey, we want to take an active role in the creation of this because as the athletic director, I want to be comfortable with it. I just don't want to wake up one day and see, hey, this is the way it looks. So um, our graphic artist has designed all three, you know, the can, 
the wine bottle, the whiskey bottle, wow. and the coffee, and the thing. Now, we work in conjunction with the owners of those companies because we're not going to make unilateral decisions on their product, but we let them know up front that, hey, we want to be heavily involved. I'm sure that's not done um, across the board. Um, and, you know, so we take their suggestions. It's a little bit of a give and take. Um, what, what we've also included um, our upper level marketing class. So I've got a professor um, who, you know, has sworn her class to secrecy and they have helped, you know, and given suggestions too. Now, when you're trying to get whiskey and wine and beer approved from campus, it's great to say, hey, we've involved campus. This is what the students have come with. That's, that's what I'd call a softer landing, you know, for our mm -hmm. upper administration that, you know, you're, it's a real world a learning experience for them and all four products I have partnered with alums so you know they're motivated to make sure it looks good it's not just some regular business person it's an alum right. so they 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 they're bought into it and I just think when you have that little you know piece of flesh attached to it um they mm -hmm. want to make it as successful as possible and you know look they're all small businesses it's a pandemic with a lot of closures and things like that. So you're adding these line extensions that really can buoy their business. You know, our dry point distiller told me, he said, man, thank God for this product because it's keeping my seven employees employed during a time where my restaurant's closed. They have Incredible. to be there because people are coming in and purchasing the product constantly. So, um, you know, it makes me feel good. Um, it's a great tie-in with the with the university as alums, small businesses. So you know, it's like a win-win. It's really hard to shoot holes in this. I get it, maybe the alcohol piece, but here's a newsflash: every college is drinking in the tailgate lots, and they're drinking in the in the in the um, in the in the bowl, or a lot of them are, and they're drinking um, you know spirits and wine in the suites. Why don't they just drink your product instead of somebody else's? Couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's almost a no-brainer. You know, you're working with alum, and it, it helps directly to your bottom line and theirs. You know, it builds your brand. Just it just makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean you know people are doing it because they're not. But uh, it, it's pretty cool to see you kind of building that and building the model out there. Well, and you know, yeah. Pat, the the last three guys that launched beers were. Uh, uh, Ross Bjork at Texas A&M, you had Laird Veach at Memphis, and you had Whit Babcock at uh, Virginia Tech. And we laughed because we're all part of the Alden Army yeah. thing. And uh, Ross yeah, and Laird guys. and I worked at the same time at Mizzou. Then when I left, Whit took my job. And um, we laughed that, uh, you know, everybody's getting in on the act um, with the beer <laughs> from Alden's Army. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's true. And it's smart. You know, it's it's smart. It's it's the right direction. So, well, th this this has been awesome. And uh, kind of last question I want to leave you with. You know, you've given a lot of deep insight, kind of behind the curtain, which has been really cool and helpful. I think our, our listeners will really appreciate. the The question I always have going kind of through the exit is, you know, what's the future look like? You know, I I don't think you would have imagined, you know, this past year based on your career, but, um, you know, over the next year, two, five, ten years, if you can predict that far, what do you see kind of in your crystal ball and kind of the trend and, um, you know, maybe from a business aspect of, of the world of college athletics? 
Sure. Well, you know, I'm very confident that at some point COVID is going to end, right? I mean, they're coming out with the vaccines and eventually, whenever that is, there'll be enough people where I think, you know, we'll remember one day when we were all wearing masks. Um, What I think, and maybe not just in the short term, but, you know, with the uh, advent of Zoom and all these other technological um, advances that allow you to have meetings and, um, um, you know, conduct your business remotely. My big fear is that the human element of this business is going to be replaced. Um, that Now, look, I still think NACTA is going to go on and you know, lead one and stuff like that. But I just, um, when people can go remotely and it's so easy, you know, if their budgets are hurting, they can do it right from their living room. They don't have to get a hotel room. They don't have to fly. They don't have to, you know, have their per diem meals. Um, so I, I think there is definitely a, a, a financial benefit, but at what cost, you know, do you lo- start losing that human element? I found that during this pandemic and New Mexico is very unique. Now I have not sat at my desk and worked since I got back from the canceled Western Athletic Conference basketball tournament, which was like a Thursday, uh, whatever, wow. March. That next day, I met with um, all 14 of my remaining teams other than men's and women's basketball. And, you know, kids were desperate to get home, you know, uh, you know internationals, et cetera. But on that day, I've yet to – now, I've been in the office to pick stuff up, to drop stuff off, but I've worked at home for – you know, it's going on 10 months. So you lose a lot of that connectivity with your staff. You can do Zooms and phone calls and all this stuff. But that's my biggest concern is um, the human element of intercollegiate athletics is pretty significant. Um, and and I always prided myself of, you know, knowing our student athletes, being around them, hanging out, going to some practices, going to as many games as I can. And now, you know, I stopped at a at our where our men are relocated in Phoenix, and it's it was almost sad because some of the guys don't know me, and I I know I know who they are, but uh, it's just different than what it used to be. So I hope we can keep that human element and do everything we can. Well said, and I, I hope for both your and my sake, the human element doesn't doesn't go anywhere because you know NACTA's national championships, Final Fours. I mean, those are. You know, it, it's an overlap from not just your career, but your life. You know, these are some these are some serious partnerships and friendships and, you know, annual events that kind of uh, kind of culminate the whole year of work. And, you know, working with people like yourself and others is definitely the best part of this business. So it'll be interesting to kind of see see what happens. But yeah, Mario, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for for taking some time. Um, you're someone I've always kind of admired in the business, you've always taken time to do whatever's needed help. You know, I just really enjoy working with you, enjoy talking to you and enjoy seeing you in Vegas every year for the uh, college basketball tournament. So, so hopefully we get back to that, uh, that state soon. I, I really appreciate it, Mario. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I uh, look forward to our discussion about varsity partnerships and uh, yeah, I am, uh, I am, um, I'm excited to hear about it and it's, Great to always talk to an old friend. All right, Mario. Thanks so much, man. I'll uh, I'll see you soon. And again, Happy New Year. Thanks, P. Flynn. I appreciate it.
All right, that'll do it. I want to thank you all for listening to the From the Rafters podcast brought to you by Varsity Partners. We'll see you next time.